Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Howard Tybal. Good morning. Good morning, Howard. Uh, how's the weather? You know what? I'm realizing that this is really going to make us so much stronger, a group of New Englanders, that we're getting through this. You know, at this point, Pete, I'm like, you know, what's another 6 to 12 inches when you already have 45 to 60? Seriously, it's like... Seriously, it's like, wow. Well, we should say, I'm, we're recording this a bit early, and right now you are uh, buried uh, in Boston in, in uh, the white stuff. And I, am, I bring this up not so that the show seems dated, but because I'm forecasting you're still going to be buried by the time the show actually airs. And it could be some time <laughs> from now. So uh, good well, luck. Well, you know, there's already discussion uh, about the Boston Marathon in April yeah. having <laughs> tons of snow on the ground. It's like, oh my goodness! Yeah, is that is that? Are you making a joke? No, seriously. Oh, there's so much snow here. Wow. I don't know how it's going to melt. Wow. Well, uh, good luck and Godspeed, sir. Okay. Uh, today, today on the show, we continue our ongoing series on governance uh, with a faculty perspective from the point of, point of view of an academic leader in the institution. We're interested in, in putting something of a framework around expectations of governance. In particular, how do we do shared governance effectively in our institutions? So to help us shed some faculty insight into this conversation, we've invited back friend of the show, Steve <laughs> Fowle. Uh, Steve is professor of theology at Loyola University, Maryland, and former chair of the faculty senate there. We don't like to pick favorites, uh, but as an academic myself, Steve Fowle sets a pretty high bar for me as a guest. Steve, welcome back to Navigating wow. Change. Good morning from Seattle, where... Our trees are in bloom, and it's going to be 60 degrees today, Howard. All right, oh. you know, show's over. <laughs> I actually, this is a true story. Yesterday I opened up my phone, and I took a screenshot of the weather app on the current weather in Portland. I, I didn't send it to you, Howard, but my intention was I thought that would ruin our relationship in just a little uh, yeah. significant way. Uh, so we're talking about this uh, this issue of governance. And, and Howard, I think it was, it was your idea. Once we started talking to trustees and board members uh, and presidents— uh, that we really need to broaden the sphere of insight we're getting from, uh, you know, from this pr perspective of shared governance. We talked about bringing a student, and obviously Steve Fowle uh, was a great choice to talk about uh, faculty governments. Do you want to set the stage a little bit for us about uh, why it's so important to, uh, uh, to bring the academic on the show in this conversation? Absolutely. So, you know, from my perspective, we talk about governance and, you know, if you think about word association, people think about governance, they immediately jump to the trustees, whether it's a public or a private institution. Uh, when we talk about shared governance, we assume that we're talking specifically about the faculty. And I think very often that language is being used. But ultimately, if we're being honest, the work of making changes, big, big and small changes, the work of keeping the trains running is really about a shared governance between the core leadership bodies, which is the academics, the administration, and the board of trustees. So I think in the absence of including faculty or faculty leaders, we're not having a complete conversation on this. And I think we need to involve faculty more in an appropriate way around this conversation. And I've seen Steve in action. I've seen Steve uh, win over administrators uh, and build trust. And I think at the heart of this, it's, it's that kind of mindset. So I, you know, Steve, I, I really wanted, I wanted 
both administrators and academics to be listening from the point of view of what does it mean for us to raise the bar? You know, when we're doing it well, uh, what does it look like? And, you know, not to pretend like it's easy because it's not, you know, to do this well. So I think, you know, my first question for you is, you know, when you think about over your tenure of uh, of the work you've been doing uh, in academics, what is it that uh, you find really makes for the relationship between the administration and the academics work well? When you've seen it work well, what's happening? When it works well, it's because both sides of that equation, the academics and the administrators, have a sense that the other component, the other side, is doing something very important for the life of the institution, and they're doing something that they only imperfectly understand. And so they need to be um, openly engaged with the other side without the assumption that we know everything that's going on here And so we've got the answers, and really all you need to do is agree with us and implement them. Um, And, and, you know, that perspective, that sort of only we know what's going on and only we care about the institution, um, you know, can happen from the faculty side. It can happen from the administrator side. Um, When it works best, it's this sense that we share responsibility for the future of this institution, and we need to work together to make it work better. and you know that that kind of really depends on the on the leadership, but it also depends on whether the structures are there to make that work well, to to enhance that working well. Yes, absolutely. The, the, you know, I I love how you started this because, you know, it leads to two things for me. One is at at, at the heart of what you're talking about is is people at all levels in an institution, no matter how seasoned you are, accessing your ignorance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 you're talking about respecting each other in a way that I think we so underestimate how 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 easy it is for somebody outside of your group to interpret that you think you own something that they don't. That the mission is ours, and I know that tension exists between academics and administrators. When it's done well, it's a natural, it's sort of a healthy tension. But why why do you think it goes off the rails? Or why do you think it's so hard to do this accessing our ignorance and respecting each other? Because it is hard. Yeah. I mean, part of it is just exposure. Um, The structures of, of higher education don't bring administrators into contact with faculty all that often, um, surprisingly. Um, and especially if that administrator was never a faculty member to begin with, or has been a, you know, was only a faculty member for a very brief time or a long time ago, or at a different institution, all those things can interrupt that experience. Um, that makes it hard. And faculty, for the most part, can do their jobs on a day-to-day basis without ever really thinking about what's going on at an administrative level or even what's going on at a at a institutional level above their own department right. and so you you can work well as a faculty member without ever really engaging many of the larger institutional and administrative problems that um the administration of a university are dealing with on a day-to-day basis and the administrators 
can make that institution work well without ever really having a lot of contact with faculty. And when crisis comes or when challenges come, then they're completely unprepared for, uh, for working together. You know, I had the... Um... I had the pleasure and privilege of being on a project with you in your co-leader with uh, the Vice President for Administration, Terry Sawyer. And the thing that struck me about Loyola is the, the rigor, sort of the institutional internal shared governance structure that exists. And it exists everywhere, but I think that it's particularly solid and and it's it's treated with a high level of integrity. T- talk a little bit about Loyola's internal shared governance structure that has to, you know, that involves the faculty. Sure. Um, we really have three central bodies in our governance structure. Um, there's the academic senate, which is probably the thing that's most familiar and most easily translatable across other institutions. The senate is chaired by a, a f- tenured professor, um, and that's an elected post. And they are in charge of academic policies and procedures. They are in charge of the um, maintaining the academic excellence of the institution. Then we have another body called, we call it the Loyola Conference. The conference is chaired by the Vice President for Academic Affairs, and it's in charge of uh, strategic planning and budgeting issues. And then we have a third group, which is a small group uh, called uh, the Executive Governance Committee. And as you might imagine, there are always issues that are going to sometimes have be largely academic, and have some budgetary consequences or largely budgetary and have some academic consequences. And the Executive Governance Committee, which is a a small group of the the chairs of the two bodies plus some faculty and administrators, um, meet regularly to figure out how to divide up the work. Where will the, which group will take responsibility for a particular issue and and where does the, where does the sort of pressure points lie. And once we've discussed that, it's usually pretty clear about which group um, ought to take the lead in dealing with an issue. And sometimes it has to go through both groups. Um, That may sound cumbersome, and certainly it can be a a long involved process for us. But, uh, But when it's working well, the work gets divided effectively, and the right people are ending up making the decisions their best place to uh, to adjudicate. That's a it's a fascinating structure, Steve. I wonder, you know, you you mentioned this uh, the the word respect earlier, and I think uh, hearing you describe this sort of framework or this this sort of you know three legged stool of governance really um, sheds a light on the respect that you must have for one another in order to move things through such a such a, a sort of rigorous system and actually get things done at all. But what it leads me to think about is this idea of when you respect uh, each of the parties in this conversation, each of the parties in the governance structure, um, it allows you to have healthy expectations of each group, right? You can expect that your peers are going to respond, are going to get things done, are going to take action when action needs to be taken. From a faculty perspective, what is expected of you as a faculty body or as a representative of the faculty body from the board and administration? Are there, you know, what are you called on to deliver? Certainly the the issues where um, 
where the trustees are going to sort of be observing or where the higher levels of administration issues on uh, on rank and tenure um, issues on the shape of our curriculum and what we expect of our students. I mean, those two things are, are most obvious. Uh, rank and tenure and associated issues are, are about the working environment for the faculty. And then the curricular stuff is about how we're going to, uh, how the faculty are going to engage the students and, um, and achieve the academic mission of the university. Uh, so those are the two things that, that the academic senate tends to land on. And of course, both of those have budgetary implications. Um, and so one of the things that really always helps our system work well is when the academic side understands that each of those issues around rank and tenure and working conditions for faculty and on curricular issues have budgetary implications and it's it's foolish to to ignore that for us um, and so when we're doing a good job we're not trying to manage those budgetary issues for the conference but we recognize that they do exist and we have to think about our work in relation to those issues and then expect that the conference will do its job in um, allocating resources and making strategic decisions that will enable um, the academic decisions of the Senate to move forward effectively and be able to be embodied. When we don't do it well, um, we end up with one body making plans and policy that um, are simply unrealistic from the perspective of the other body. And then we get, it's sort of like walking, as long as the legs are in coordination, you'll move forward. But if the legs aren't coordinated, it's just very hard to move forward. Well, and that's that gets to this to to the the crux of my question too. I mean, I just finished a, a faculty uh, uh, faculty meeting, uh, institutional meeting, and the the general uh, theme was really pretty nasty. I mean, the faculty to the point they don't have the faculty body doesn't have uh, a a high degree of respect for the faculty senate, which causes this sort of trickle up. Uh, yes. The faculty senate is is underrepresented. People don't even want to to join the faculty senate. They don't want to run for any of the elected offices, and there there and we lose uh, that sort of rigorous kind of governance and leadership from the faculty faculty becomes a voice that just gets quieter and quieter over time yeah and that no and there've certainly been periods in our past where that has been the case that really comes down to departments taking governance seriously and sending good senators to the academic senate in our case yeah and and in a sense the departments then seeing that that the work of the senate is actually having an impact a positive impact when our system has not always been uh, working well, departments largely start ignoring the Senate. They don't treat it as, as a place for governing the academic side of the university, and they, they become, in, the, in effect, small fiefdoms. And, uh, and then it becomes very difficult to get the faculty to move with any sort of coordinated voice, to speak with any sort of coordinated voice. There it is. And all you're doing is tripping rather than walking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of uh, talk out there, and I think it's only increasing. I mean, Loyola has, I think, the benefit in, of of being in a in a 
good financial position, thriving, but also taking it very seriously uh, that any institution today is vulnerable, especially if you're if you put yourself out there as a strong liberal arts institution, and you know the pricing. That's always a challenge, and it's it's everywhere. But you know, one of the things that I think there's more thinking around at the board level as well as at the administration level, and I can't speak as much to the academic side, is this idea that, you know, with the evolving social changes and demographics and the evolving labor market, with the economics, with, you know, looking at this idea of it used to be the case we had lifetime jobs and 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 how do we look at tenures as a way to really attract faculty but also do it well? And then fun, fun, finally, the political nature of this, which is around giving. There's a lot of accelerated change happening. And then we step back in and look at our current structures, you know, how we're structured as boards the kind of policies we have in place and the kind of processes we use to to make decisions, uh, I think there's a greater recognition that we're still living like it's 150 years ago, that these models haven't evolved sufficiently to the accelerated change around us. So I'm curious if, if from your perspective, do you see opportunities to evolve governance on the, you know, both within the, within the academic side to make it more relevant and more fluid and more flexible, and also in the relationship with how uh, the academics work with either administration or the boards. Do you see opportunities, um, and are, are they happening at Loyola, or do you, uh, do you concur with my point that, you know, we're, we're sort of living, uh, you know, if we if we looked at our structures, they could, they'd look like the structures that have been around for 50 to 150 years ago. Uh, you know, I certainly agree with the basic, um, basic point you're making, um, that the challenges facing universities now and really into the foreseeable future may require a sort of agility of the governance processes that that they're not well equipped to to meet um, and so I, I assume that's kind of the the issue isn't it that that we might have to change more quickly than we're really capable of of executing change with with the these governance structures that we've got absolutely absolutely and i've not thought up in any any sort of comprehensive way what an alternative would be certainly at loyola from the faculty side of things we we have seen and experienced um, in the last four to five years, the fact that we cannot do our jobs as faculty in complete ignorance of the financial aspects of university life. We have to pay attention to that. We cannot now, and this is the hard part for faculty. And a huge realization for faculty. Like that's it, a tectonic it, shift. It is. It's a tectonic shift. And then, of course, because we're really smart people and think, you know, and we know a lot of things, we think, well, we can manage this too and just let us do it. And mm -hmm. or that we can, or that our opinions might exceed our knowledge, maybe. That's right. A, Mm. That's the, the better way to put that. Um, and, you know, so we need to recognize both our dependence on the administrative side to do that, and we have to be attentive to it. We can't manage it. it it's 
too big, it's too complicated, and it's not our job. Um, you know, one of the best. Be one of the best things I heard that you just made me realize is that I listened to a keynote speaker, academic, um, talk about that administrators, and he was talking to the chief business officers of institutions, something historically called the CFOs, but brought into a business officer, and the idea that he was he was challenging them to recognize that the faculty need help in these situations. It's not about, you know, this adversarial nature of thinking that the faculty don't care, as opposed to saying, listen, find ways to reach out and educate them and recognize they care as deeply as you do, probably more from just from a different perspective about the viability and these institutions thriving, but you have to help them. They have not historically been involved in these, quote, financial sustainability conversations. They didn't join the institution to be in those conversations. And now what we're saying is we want them to be involved, but we I don't think we pay enough attention to understanding what do they need to effectively be in the conversation. Well, isn't that it, Howard? Because that's the just as much as, as faculty don't understand how to how to participate collectively, administration doesn't yet know how to effectively integrate. Yeah, I think there are two issues tied to this. Um, the first is we need to learn just some of the ins and outs of budgeting and the financial side of the university. So there's an educative component for faculty, which has to be done. Yeah, because it's technical stuff, and it needs to be made accessible to bright but non-specialist people. And then there's the interpersonal side of this. So there's a, an educative role for the CFO um, or somebody in that office to, to be constantly out there explaining what we do to faculty. And then there's the interpersonal side where the the people on the business side of the university simply need to be um, known to the faculty. Yes. So, that, yeah. so that even if I can't fully understand all the technicalities of our budget, I know this person. And I understand that they have a commitment to the institution that is not the same as mine, but equally strong as mine. I love it. And they need to, and you know, and that's really about building a set of relationships, um, and about being present, you know, in a way that you begin to know each other, and in the course of knowing each other, you realize you, it makes the stuff you don't know your it makes your ignorance much less terrifying. You know, and that's the evolving role of this CFO's chief business officer that I think they're continuing to play catch up on. You know, this idea of your job is first and foremost to build relationship. Yes, your job on paper is to make sure the trains are running and people get paid and all of that. But, you know, that's a given. If you're going to produce the kind of collaboration that's needed, you need to get out of your office and you need to start building connections with people that you want to involve in the conversation. Because I'll tell you, what I see more of is complaining about those who are not engaged. And I think it's a mindset shift. You know, some of us have that mindset more naturally and others uh, have to decide if they want to go there. Some have to self-select out because they didn't sign up for it. So we're sort of going through this 
pretty significant transition period. I mean, supposedly, when you look at the data from Nakubo, the uh, you know in the next three to five years, we're going to see uh, like a fifty percent shift in uh, chief business officers out of their out of their work. We're going to have a whole new set of individuals joining the ranks of leading these institutions, and I think that reminding how important it is to do what you just said, which is to build relationships, is going to be the way you're going to engage faculty to be part of this. But it's also the president's job. And wouldn't you agree whether it's a president or a chancellor? You're you're going to move. If you're on the cabinet, if you're on the senior leadership team, you're going to choose to invest yourself in those conversations if it's the expectation of your president to go there. And if it's not, People are going to sort of very often sit in their silos and just keep their head down and get their work done. Yeah, that I think that's true. And it, there are lots of great ways to be a, a good CFO, I'm sure. And it may be that you know, the interpersonal side of it may not be your strength, but then you need to have somebody right there alongside you who does have that strength, right. who is going to take it on, even if it's not your your personal strength. And people have different, you know, faculty have different gifts and and temperaments and CFOs, I'm sure, do too. And so um, you would need to recognize in putting together a team what you do well and what you don't do well and try and help your weaknesses and try not to replicate your strengths too much because that's just inefficient. You know, I want to, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about the relationship between the faculty and the and the actual board, because you know I'm going to have the opportunity to lead a workshop at institutionalizing change for trustees at an AGB conference upcoming. And one of the things I had the opportunity to lead a board retreat where faculty were invited into the conversation to talk about some big issues, whether it was delivery and looking at online learning, uh, a number of things that the president said, we're going to open this up. And the faculty Senate then identified who they wanted to invite. And I can tell you in the end that it did not go very well. And it didn't go very well, partly because it was like men are from Mars and women are from Venus. There was, there was, a lack of of listening uh, to each other, and you know, you could argue, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe we could have set it up better. But I'm curious about your perspective about you know the faculty or the academic leadership's involvement, connection, uh, being in there with the work of the trustees. Um, do what do you see needs to change around that, or what has been your experience around that? Um, I have a couple of ideas about that. As, as chair of the Academic Senate, I would uh, attend the subcommittee, the Academic Affairs subcommittee meetings of the trustees for part of the meetings, so not by, by no means all of them. And I would make presentations. Other faculty would occasionally make presentations, students um, also sometimes. Um, and those are all good. Um, it's good to have some faculty involvement on the board. For the most part, though, most faculty will go through their entire careers and never directly encounter a trustee. Um, and there's not much, I, I don't think you need to have a wholesale change there. But one thing, or a couple of things I think institutions might do to help here is when you bring your board on campus, however many times a year you do that, 
arrange for the members of the board to sit in on a class or two. Put our best teachers out there. Put them in, put them in classrooms with our best teachers so that they see regularly what's going on. That's and, Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an easy thing to do. It's not, you know, it takes a little bit of time. Um, one thing we did, and we never really repeated at Loyola, um, I think, but it would, it would also be another way of doing this, is uh, we took a Saturday and invited alumni to come back to college, in, in a sense. You, you, you would come for a morning, you get three short lectures from three f distinguished faculty in different disciplines. And, uh, and then we'd have lunch, you know, it'd be question and answer, there'd be lunch, and you're kind of done. It's a little more than half a day. Uh, and we had a number of trustees who live locally come and do that. And I think they all thought it was a marvelous experience. Mm. Uh, they were there with alums, and so getting contact that way. They were there with faculty who gave them sort of half hour of what's current in my discipline. They were our best faculty, and so it was lively and exciting. And they came away energized by the work of the university. Those sorts of things, whether you plan it out as a sort of half-day thing or simply when they come on campus as part of uh, you know, their, their normal work as board members, go into a classroom, have, a, have an engagement with a set of students. Uh, most of them, you know, as trustees, will also go through their time on the board um, without much contact with faculty or at least the contact they'll have with faculty will not be faculty doing their jobs. They'll be faculty coming in to inform them about things. Yeah, and I think what that does is that raises the collective awareness of each other's value. And, you know, for, for a faculty member to see trustees sitting in on what they're doing, I think it raises their value and vice versa. Trustees get to walk away and say, I have a deeper appreciation of what's going on here. And for some who've been alum, reconnecting with what they're doing. What I like what you're saying is, because the nuance here is you really want to let each body sort of do their work. Right. Yeah. You don't want faculty in there. Uh, you know, I've seen situations where faculty wanted to have greater representation on the board. And then there was this tension associated with how do we do that? You know, typically how we do it is we we invite them to committees and they get to present. I think there's an opportunity there to have it be less presentation and more dialogue. And, and I think that's an area for boards to be looking at. How do we have engaging gatherings as opposed to presentation gatherings? And that's an area where uh, I'm hoping to see more change. But I love what you're saying because you're saying the, these are relatively simple things to do. It just requires sitting down and thinking a little bit in advance. How can we engage both sides? You know, it's a funny, it's a funny transition too because you, what what you're seeing is when you're sitting in the classroom is you're seeing the work of the mission, right? You're seeing how faculty directly interact with the product, right? These the, the sort yeah. of student uh, interaction, but faculty also need to see that. All these bodies, whether administration or, or uh, you know, at the trustee level, they are also doing the work of the mission of the institution. And, and I think being able to translate what that looks like across this three-legged stool of governance is really, um, is really a gift. That is a great idea. It's certainly something I'm going to recommend to my own institution. Try and do simple stuff that isn't too time-consuming right. and, and, and yet 
builds genuine bridges. Wonderful conversation. Steve Fowle, thank you so, so very much for joining us for this. Oh, happy, happy to See, be Steve, part of it. Steve thought we're just getting started. Didn't, I know, right? <laughs> didn't you, weren't you holding three hours for this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, until, until my next podcast. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, okay, let's, let's digress for one second. How's the book coming? I've got about uh, 50,000 words written and... And they're in the I'll right get... order, generally. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> oh, quick, quick, let's listen. Here's an opportunity. Quick shout out. Uh, describe the describe high level what the book is. Uh, uh, it's it's a book about uh, idolatry and how it happens to people. Don't you love that, Pete? I, I mean, do. It's one of these things where you, you you know if you're listening and you're if you sort of appear sort of disengaged. The second he says that, it's like wow, I have not seen one of those books on the shelf. So I'm really excited for when this. Um, when this comes out, and when do you uh, when do you end your sabbatical? Uh, we will leave Seattle in mid June. Um, oh boy! Wow. So, so if it stays like this from now until then, I'll be I'll probably not go back. Actually, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, it is uh, it is absolutely our honor to have you back on the show to share this uh, conversation with us. Thank you, Steve Fowle, uh, former faculty chair, uh, distinguished uh, professor of theology at Loyola. Thank you so much. Great, thanks. And Howard Teibel, thank you so much for your uh, for your wisdom today. It's always good Listen, to have these. I chats. learn. I learn as much as. Uh, and that's what's wonderful about yeah. these, Pete. It's, I think that these kind of step back conversations forces all of us to say, you know, why are we doing the things we're doing as opposed to just sort of just trotting along and putting one foot in front of the other. Um, I get great value from these conversations. Me too. Me too. And and thank you all for downloading and listening to the show. If, you, uh, if you're listening on the website at typolink.com, you can learn more about us there, but you can subscribe for free and make sure you don't miss a single episode uh, by just searching for us, Navigating Change, in the iTunes store or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much, everybody. On behalf of Steve Fowle and Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc.